When will the second coming take place? There are certain moments in history, often punctuated by wars, pandemics, political and social upheavals, when one legitimately asks, Lord, when are you coming? The world has gone mad. Every generation has those moments. There is nothing wrong with asking the question. Genuine faith is never afraid of being asked questions. Thinking about the second coming is a spiritually healthy thing to do. It could be a time of enlightening self-examination. How am I progressing in my relationship with Jesus? Am I ready for my judgment? When, however, we cross that boundary from reflecting on the second coming to obsessing about it, we enter dangerous territory. We Catholics actually pray for the second coming all the time, though more intensely at Advent. Have you ever noticed, for example, that at every Mass, daily Mass, weekend Masses, wedding or funeral Masses, the priest publicly expresses the church's expectation of our Lord's second coming in all four Eucharistic prayers. Listen for it when we offer the prayers tonight, this morning. In fact, one of the most ancient prayers of the church that was ever established is the Aramaic word, Maranatha, come Lord, come. Sadly, we're not allowed right now to have congregational singing in our churches as a way of trying to reduce the spread of the COVID virus. But one of the hymns that we traditionally sing every Sunday of Advent is what? O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's our hope. The desire to know when the Lord is coming is perfectly reasonable, perfectly understandable. The Lord, however, has clearly warned every generation through his gospel that his disciples ought not to waste their time trying to figure it out by engaging in speculative theological theories, or even worse, trying to knit together various scripture passages thinking there's a hidden message. Jesus' warning, however, hasn't stopped many from doing those things, though it has to be said that Catholic theologians avoid such speculation like the plague, whereas this has historically been a problem in some Protestant churches, often with horrible consequences for those who uncritically believed their preachers. Read, for example, the history of the 19th century American pastor, Reverend Joseph Miller, whose two predictions for the second coming and the adverse impact his failed predictions had on the lives of thousands of believers, if not more. Reverend Miller was the spiritual founder of what is today called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This fascination 
with trying to predict the second coming goes on in our own day in various denominations. Jesus said that the day and the hour is known only to the Father, and when he comes, it will be evident to all humanity. It is best to take him at his word. What Jesus does want his disciples to do in the meantime is to live out the gospel in everyday life, respond to the graces we were given to grow in our relationship with him and through that relationship to make our families, our church, our community, our county, our state, our nation, and yes, even our world a little bit better for the next generation. That is how he wants us to watch for his coming. Prayer and gospel action. Part of our problem as fallen creatures with the second coming is our perception of time. We heard the apostle Peter in his second letter say, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing any should perish. Now, that's quite a mouthful, but it boils down to two simple principles. First, time is irrelevant. Now, that's a hard pill for us short-lived creatures to swallow, but it's the truth. From God's perspective, time has, well, no meaning, because all persons, all events, all history, all time is immediately present to him. God has no past. God has no future. God is, in a sense, an eternal now. And so are all who place their trust in him, whatever their period of history. Second, we can't superimpose our sense of time and history on God. Look at the opening verse from Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel technically means the good news. And Mark is giving every generation that will come into existence the good news that salvation that God planned from the beginning, essentially from the fall of Adam and Eve, has been and is even now, this very moment, slowly weaving in and through the fabric of human history. Your history, my history, the history of every human being, the history of every nation. The allure of evil, the temptation of every generation to assume the powers of God to create a utopia on earth with all the horrors and chaos such movements are doomed to produce, the experience of tragedies and all the darkness of sin are utterly powerless to alter God's goal, our salvation. Yes, the powers of this world, which are under the dominion of the evil one, can certainly throw up massive roadblocks. But God's grace 
is like the warm, penetrating rays of the sun that eats through the densest fog. From our perspective, the whole process of salvation history has taken tens of thousands of years, and it's still dragging on with almost no end in sight. From God's perspective, <laughs> it's already done. In the remaining weeks of Advent, we should intensify our prayers that the Lord return. Nothing wrong with that. At the same time, we should also intensify our willingness to cooperate with the graces we are given to grow in our relationship with Christ in his body, his church. Our lives, the life of our church, the life of our nation, and our world would be so much better for it. And may the Lord come, and may it be today.